Former Alabama quarterback Jalen Hurts will be the starting quarterback for the University of Oklahoma in the 2019 season. This development ended a hectic two and a half weeks for the Oklahoma program following their season-ending defeat against Alabama at the end of December. In that span, Oklahoma has won some crucial recruiting battles and has also reshuffled their defensive coaching staff with the hires of Alex Grinch, Brian Odom, and Roy Manning. But perhaps none of that is as significant as the pledge from Hertz. Coming off of four consecutive years of Heisman-level play from their starting quarterbacks, the Sooners were faced with a frightening proposition for 2019, a complete question mark at the most important position in sports. Sure, Austin Kendall was slated to return for his fourth year in the system, but it's fairly safe to say from context that Austin Kendall was not considered the guy capable of leading the program into their next era something that shouldn't surprise the careful observers of this past season. In his brief appearances, Kendall often looked squeamish, struggled with pre-snap reads, and did not show much aptitude for being accurate downfield. And as a side note, I have very specific thoughts on the whole situation with him transferring to West Virginia that we will discuss during the show. But you don't need to do a lot of digging for my thoughts on the Hurts development, however. During the podcast last week, I gave my unyielding approval of the potential move. Over the course of the 2018 season, I routinely compared Jalen Hurts to the level of Texas's Sam Ellinger. I believe Sam Ellinger is a clear top 10 quarterback in college football for the 2019 season, perhaps even top five. So that gives you a pretty good idea of where I believe Hurts fits in here. Most importantly, Hurts provides the experience of someone who has started and played well on the biggest stages of college football. That includes starting in four college football playoff games and being the winning quarterback in three SEC title games. For OU fans still not sold on Hurts, I ask you this simple question. On October 12th in the Cotton Bowl against Sam Ellinger in Texas, who do you think has a better chance of not blinking in that moment? Austin Kendall or Jalen Hurts? The answer is fairly obvious in my mind. One of the takeaways from the 2018 college football playoff was that OU as a program, much like the other 127 programs in college football, are not materially close to being able to compete with programs like Alabama and Clemson. The talent is on a different level, and perhaps more importantly, the culture and mental makeup of the players is on a different level. Jalen Hurts comes from that culture. He has the opportunity to inject a bit of that culture inside OU's program. If Lincoln Riley is to take the program to the heights that he wants, that culture being instilled is of the utmost importance. Jalen Hurts may not mean national title rings for the Sooners in 2019, but I suspect his contributions will go a long way towards number eight in the near future. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Here comes a blitz. Arrow throws over and it's intercepted. Picked off by Lindy Holmes, the nickelback. Lindy Holmes, he might score. Inside the 30. Cuts back to the middle of the field. And he's in. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Lindy Holmes catapults us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Holmes' 63-yard pick six against Texas Tech back on November 17th, 2007, put OU up 7-0 in Lubbock. 
Then Tech scored the next 27 points unanswered. Sam Bradford got hurt at one point. Joey Halsley tried to save the day, but the Sooners ultimately lost a very frustrating game to Texas Tech, 34-27, ending any hopes Oklahoma had at a national championship in 2007. Now that we're in the offseason, the intro for each episode will be from a former Sooner based off of their jersey number. Last year, we picked the intro by month, meaning it was January. Therefore, we found a player who wore number one, February number two, March number three, so on and so forth. So this offseason, we're going to add 10 to that. So now it's January and we're featuring guys who wore number 11 in February. We'll do number 22 and then so on and so forth. So. Now that that's out of the way, let me say hello. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the start with his opening take. All right, we've got three big-time topics to discuss on today's show. Jalen Hurts is officially coming to Oklahoma. Austin Kendall is transferring to West Virginia. And that entire episode led to Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma getting backlash publicly because Oklahoma initially blocked Kendall's immediate eligibility at West Virginia, and I'll play a soundbite from Lincoln Riley later on uh, talking about that entire ordeal. And then the last big-time topic is Alex Grinch. His first news conference was on Sunday. He is officially the, uh, well, I guess he's been the D.C. for a while, but he made his first public appearance wearing some OU colors and an OU shirt, so we'll have some thoughts from Alex Grinch later in the show. And plus, OU's defensive coaching staff is finalized. So here's what I want to do. I want to tackle the Austin Kendall stuff first. And then I think uh, talking about Kendall will probably transition us into talking about the Jalen Hurts news. Might be a little bit of overlap there. We'll see. So before I jump into all those details, let's welcome back Grant into the show. How's it going? Hi, Lee. I, you, of, Hi. Course, of course, you got to bring up that, that 2007 game at Texas Tech. I hate that game, man. That game still really just bugs me. Um, if, uh, if, if you guys have been a fan of the podcast since, since the very, very beginning, you guys would know that one of my unpopular opinions or just one of my opinions in general is that the 2007 Oklahoma Sooners were the best team in the country that season. And I am generally just pretty upset that that Sam Bradford concussion happened in that game, thus leading to the loss of Texas Tech. Um, just another, another instance of, of a lot of them, I feel like in the last 18 years, where it just didn't go OU's way. I hate that game so much. See, I didn't... I don't remember that game a whole lot because in 2007, I was in college and playing baseball at a junior college. And in the falls, it was annoying because we were always busy playing fall ball and things like that. So I never got a chance to to watch a lot of OU games. So did Bradford get hurt early in that game or was it late in that game? It was early. I think it might have actually been their first uh, offensive possession. Because I'm pretty okay. sure because Texas Tech started with the ball and uh, there was the pick six on the very first possession of the game, and then like Bradford got hurt like the second or third play of the game. All right, so that would explain then why Oklahoma got outscored. What like that Tech scored the next twenty something points, twenty seven points, because so Oklahoma's offense just wasn't the same because Bradford wasn't playing. Most yeah. Of the, okay. Yeah. All, All right. right. It's, it's pretty pretty uh pretty safe to say. And also, if everyone remembers, that was the. That was the crazy, ridiculous season of college football where Appalachian State opened the year by beating Michigan, and it was something like the number two team in the country lost like seven consecutive weeks or something like that. Something absurd like that. I do remember that. That was fun. Yep. That that last week or whatever, like around Thanksgiving time, was insane. Yep, yep, and I still... There's tons of upsets, yeah. Yep, and then it was... 
if everyone remembers, it was just one of the one of the more boring national title games of of recent memory. 2007, a year where a playoff was absolutely necessary in college football. <laughs> I am I, I am nearly certain that LSU was not the best team in college football that season. Um, they were just they were straight up just bad on offense that year. They had a lot of talent on defense, but that was also an Ohio State team that played a really really easy soft Big Ten schedule, and they lost at home to Illinois and Juice Williams. Uh, late in the season, they were still able to backdoor into the national title game because of all the other chaos. And if you guys remember LSU's whole undefeated in regulation mantra that Les Miles always talking about because they lost two games in overtime. But crazy, that was an outstanding season of college football with a really, really uh, bad, probably too strong of a word, but uh, but uh, kind of a, an anticlimactic uh, bowl season to that season. I'd love to actually talk more about that Arkansas game where Darren McFadden did everything. One of the best college and, and football LSU, games I've ever seen. But what such a great game. Yeah, that was I'd actually because that was we were together like around Thanksgiving. So I actually got a chance to watch college football because I wasn't at school. But whatever, we've gone like three minutes on this and people want to hear us talk about Austin Kendall and all this stuff. So let's do that. So the first thing that I want to do is establish a timeline of events. I was in Norman on Sunday afternoon for Lincoln Riley's news conference. The first 20 minutes were basically dedicated to Jalen Hurts and the Austin Kendall stuff. And there's a little Kyler Murray thrown in. Riley said a week or a week and a half ago, he met with Kyler Murray. And then at that point, Murray told Riley that he would not be coming back to Oklahoma, that he would go on and play either pro football or pro baseball. That's what Riley said at his press conference on Sunday. Riley also added that it was either on a Tuesday or a Wednesday that he found that information out. So based on Lincoln Riley's thoughts there, we can conclude that Riley learned that Murray would be gone on either Tuesday, January the 8th or Wednesday, January the 9th. Now, once Riley knew that Murray wasn't coming back, he said that he began thinking that Oklahoma could use somebody older in the quarterback room. And at that point, Riley started checking out the transfer portal. He then found some intriguing options. Then he moved to contact the current quarterbacks at Oklahoma to talk about his intentions to try to get a transfer quarterback. Riley also said on Sunday that he encouraged Austin Kendall to enter the transfer portal. And we know from Eric Bailey's story in the Tulsa world last week that Kendall entered the portal on Friday, January the 11th. So a few days after Riley found out that Kyler Murray wasn't going to be coming back. So at this point, I want to stop and talk about some things. You know, like I said, Riley told Austin Kendall to enter the transfer portal. At this point, as far as we know, Hertz coming to Oklahoma, Jalen Hertz, that is, coming to OU was not a done deal. So the question I have for you, Grant, is can we infer from this information that worst case scenario, Riley felt more comfortable heading into 2019 with Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler as his quarterbacks as opposed to Mordecai Rattler and Kendall? Well, first of all, I want to say right at the beginning that I don't necessarily buy kind of the full depth of Riley's story. Um, that timeline seems a little fishy in my mind. There's just simply no no way at all that OU's first contact with Jalen Hurts was a week and a half or so ago. That I just don't buy that for one single second. So hmm. um, n- just not even a little bit. So that that's Why just not? me because there's just no way that that all that that Jalen Hurts to OU came about in one week. That's just there's just no possible way that happened. Well, here is I got 
I think it it may have, and this might sound crazy, but here's I don't know how much you put into you know offshore odds, you know books, things like that, because there was always odds coming out when when Hertz entered the you know. No, I, remember, I mean this is like wait. OU was not even anywhere near like the list of teams that that people thought Hertz was going to go to. Yeah, and but also at the same time, Lee, I mean, and I know you can put you know a little bit of stock into this what you want, but the insiders, whatever, at the football brainiacs, even the guys on Sooner Scoop. I mean, they've been talking about like this was a possibility for over a month now. So people have been whispering stuff to them and like I mean this 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 almost certainly came together over the course of of months. See, but at that point though, if it's been happening over months, why would Re- Lincoln Riley wait that long to tell Austin Kendall to get into the transfer portal? Well, we didn't well we didn't know that Jalen Hurts was even in the transfer portal until like a, a couple of days before the timeline that Lincoln Riley uh puts out there we didn't even know we didn't even know he was in the portal so let's see let me let me check that out so yeah when did he enter the portal when did Jalen Hurts enter the portal um, so Jalen Hurts okay so Jalen Hurts I'm seeing a story on January 9th so that would have been right around the time that Lincoln Riley said that he heard from Kyler Murray that Murray would not be coming back to Oklahoma so Jalen Hurts didn't answer the didn't go into the transfer portal until okay. Like, how about how about let's just do this here here here's what my my thoughts on the matter here here's what I think in all likelihood happened and I I think it's completely acceptable if you want to go ahead and expl- if if you want to accept what Lincoln Riley said about it that timeline just from what I know about how this process works and how relationships work and just how college football works in general in my mind there's no possible way that it that it happened that quickly here's what I think in, in all likelihood happened. Um, Lincoln Riley probably preferred that Kyler Murray came back for his senior year. Um, he probably knew over the course of this season, going through practice or whatever, that Austin Kendall was not the guy. He knew pretty much all season long he was going to dip into that transfer portal. He did not know it was Jalen Hurts probably until closer to the Orange Bowl, I would guess. Or he didn't know that Jalen Hurts was the guy he was going to go after until closer to then. Um, I don't think all of the really nice words that Lincoln Riley said about Jalen Hurts to the media and stuff like that during the award circuit, I do not think that was coincidence. I think that was absolutely calculated. Well, um, Riley touched on that on Sunday and said that at that point he had he had not thought at all seriously about Jalen Hurts coming to yeah, OU. Yeah, and he, he, Lincoln Riley always adds qualifiers in there. He says he didn't think about it seriously. That doesn't mean he didn't think about it or he wasn't, he wasn't going over how it would work logistically. Um, I'm sure at that point in time, what he was seriously going over was the game plan for Alabama in the Orange Bowl. See, but now you're doing the thing that you always like to point out, like, oh, you can't read anybody's mind. You can't read people's minds. And that's kind of what you're trying to do right now. I, I'm and sure I'm normally but- uh, somebody that's OK with theorizing things and things like that. But this is one of those scenarios where I can almost I mean, I kind of I buy it. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I'm just saying it stinks. It stinks. There's just mm-hmm. in my mind, there's no possible way that. The, the whole Jalen Hurts OU thing came about on Wednesday, January 9th, when Hurts entered the portal, which was also conveniently the same day that Kyler Murray told uh, Lincoln Riley that he was, that he was not uh, going to come back to Oklahoma. It's just, it's just didn't, it, there's just no way it happened that way. I, I just, I'm just not buying it. So I, I think it's completely fine that you want to just take Riley's word for it because I suppose on the record, this is all we have. But I'm just saying from what I know about how this process works, there's just no way that it, that it worked out like that. 
But, but and that's what my do opinion. you know about this process because the transfer portal is brand new this year. I mean, this is a new thing. I mean, it it came about in October. I'm just saying so, you don't I mean, it's not you like don't there's any make, precedent for this. You don't make these massive program shifting decisions all within the course of a week. This is all stuff that he has laid out in the past and he has thought about. Mm. And if 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 all of this came together over the course of the week, then I'm concerned for like the livelihood of the program. All right. I'm kind of concerned. I don't know why I, you said the word concerned, so I concerned in my head. No, that's not the right word. I'm intrigued by some other potential players that Riley identified in the portal that he was interested in because he didn't obviously specify anybody else. He didn't specify I mean, anyone else. Yeah, because. But I'm just curious, like who, who he, uh, who he likes. I'm sure, I'm I mean, sure I, he wanted Hurts. He wanted Hurts. Yeah, but okay. Well, <laughs> he said he made it plural like there was multiple people so i'm curious to see who else saying, he was interested austin kendall entered the transfer portal before jalen hurts even visited ou kendall was gone no matter what he was gone lincoln riley had told austin kendall that he he, he said austin you're not the guy that conversation yeah, had to have happened well yeah i mean lincoln riley said that he told austin kendall it's in his best interest to enter the transfer portal okay and he said that on sunday and so you're right we, and, and then so that goes back to what to what kind of our initial thought process was last week, that that means one of two things, maybe both things. One, that Jalen Hurts is coming to OU, which I think at that time they probably had a good feeling that he was coming to OU. That's my opinion. Um, and number two, he probably thinks Tanner Mordecai is better than Austin Kendall. See, yeah, I, I'm i with you. I, I do think they probably had a really good feeling that he'd be coming to Oklahoma because I, I said at the time, I can't imagine Lincoln Riley putting Oklahoma's quarterback situation into a position where it's it, it's a bad position going into 2019 unless uh, he ha- he he kind of knew he had he was really confident that Jalen Hurts was coming to Oklahoma or that without Kendall there he was confident that Tanner Mordecai or even Spencer Rattler was the right move anyways in 2019 and well, now that we know that Hertz is coming there, and I think one of those or both of those theories are probably true. How about how about here, here's one thing that I feel like I can say with 100% confidence, and that is at some point in time during the 2018 season, or maybe it happened I, during fall camp, I guess theoretically could have happened too, Lincoln Riley made the decision that Austin Kendall was not the guy. Yeah, I, I, I can and the say question that is, with 100% when did that happen? Com- exactly. And I w- we were going to talk about that at some point. We will. That, that's the thing is, when did he make that decision? Yeah. And I'm just saying that's not just something that you come to the conclusion of. That's something that you build towards. And um, hey, I was and Lee I, and I, I mentioned it in my opening take as well. I was convinced that Austin Kendall was the guy until I saw him play this year. He looked bad. So okay, you know, I just here's the thing: you can't base it off of that. He looked fine. He barely played. He he looks he looks like skittish. He had happy feet. Was not doing a good job with pre-snap reads. I mean, this is well. He wasn't asked to do anything pre-snap. I mean, every time he played, it was just a run play, with the exception of the first drive against Baylor. Well, no, that's not so true. Lincoln just, Riley does as at least the last two years. He has absolutely trusted, or I'm sorry, the last four years, he's absolutely trusted Mayfield and Murray to get them into the right plays. Well, I mean, he was fine in the second half against FAU when he played. He played just fine in that game. So, I mean, you can't base Austin Kendall's performance on the very few snaps he had this season. So, I, I don't think that's a. I mean, that's I just, why, I just did. I, I didn't. I didn't. I thought he looked bad this year when he was when he was in there. 
Well, here's my thing, though, is I thought in the spring game last year, I thought both players didn't particularly play that well, but I thought Austin Kendall played better than Kyler Murray in the spring game. And I think that's what made it possible for us all to buy into the thought that Lincoln Riley or I'm sorry, Austin Kendall and Kyler Murray were actually in a true quarterback competition. You know what? Maybe they were. I, that goes back no, to the question. They were at not. What uh, point? No, let, no, they but just we don't know that. We don't I, know I guess that we sure. don't. But I mean, Kyler Murray just had the best statistical season in the history of college football. You're not telling me that he wasn't freaking amazing during practice going against that defense. I'm sorry. Uh, there we, was, don't, we don't know. This was, we weren't there. And okay. the last time we well, saw them playing a, competitive football before that was in the spring game when both of them were not particularly sharp. And again, well, I, thought I respect Kendall you was more saying that Murray. as a member of the media. And I feel like you probably have to say that as a member of the media, as someone who does not have the same obligations as you do, I am incredibly comfortable with saying that was never a battle. Kyler Murray was always going to be the starting quarterback and it's naive to think otherwise. Yeah. I don't know. I, Sure, that's that's what the general you know, you, thought. You know, would you know be, how but... I know that is because Kyler Murray just had statistically the best season in college football history, and Lincoln Riley is letting Austin Kendall go. If 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 that doesn't tell you that there was never a battle there, then I don't know what will. Man, okay, so then that way, yeah, I, I guess that everybody was kind of coached up then because every time the players were asked about it, they said the same thing. So. Yes, yes. I mean that's. We don't know that for sure, but and I guess we, and, that's a theory. So, Lincoln Riley has his finger on the pulse of the program. He controls everything. And look no further than what happened with the, the transfer crap to West Virginia to prove it. Lincoln Riley wants full control over this program. He doesn't really care what, what everybody thinks about, about it either. So, All right, well, so you switch back over to that. So let's get back to the topic at hand. And I want to get back to the timeline of events. We last left off talking about Austin Kendall entering the transfer portal, which was on Friday, January the 11th. On Wednesday, January 16th, late in the morning, ESPN's Jake Trotter reported that Oklahoma was fine with Kendall transferring to West Virginia, but OU was blocking Kendall from becoming immediately eligible in Morgantown. As a grad transfer, Kendall would be immediately eligible to play upon transferring anywhere. However, under NCAA rules, Oklahoma did have the right to block Kendall from becoming immediately eligible if he transferred to a Big 12 school. Trotter's report unleashed the mob at Riley in Oklahoma, and it seemed like the standard take and the standard thought by everybody was basically, wow, Austin Kendall did everything right here. Just let him transfer wherever he wants to go and let him be immediately eligible. How could Oklahoma do this to him? I want to pause discuss this whole thing you know after all this became a whole story on Wednesday uh, this became a story and then George Schroeder later George Schroeder sorry later in the day of USA Today reported on Wednesday night that Oklahoma would allow Kindle to transfer anywhere and be immediately eligible anywhere so I've got a soundbite to play from Lincoln Riley and he talked a lot about Austin Kindle and this whole situation quite a bit on Sunday I pulled a clip from the press conference. It's about a minute and 10 seconds long. And I believe this explains Riley's thinking during this whole ordeal. So I want to play this clip and then Grant and I will further discuss the story. There was a point in time where I was not, I was not ready to grant him that. Uh, I was kind of, I think, pretty honest throughout the entire, the entire time that 
I haven't made a final decision yet. I'm trying to get to that place because personally, the human element, I want to do it for you. I love the kid. Austin Kendall was great here. I loved every minute that he was here. His family was great. He was a very positive member of this team. And I, I didn't want him to go. Um, but then I also wanted to make sure I'm making the best decision for Oklahoma, too, and for all of our staff, all of our players, for all the players that will play for us in the coming years. Because, like I said, these decisions, you know, they, they carry weight. And it's you can't just always make it for one individual guy. So we worked through it. Um, and there was different points where they needed to know where I stood relative to their decisions, and I was honest. And then we got to a point as it went on where I felt like I, I still have some inner back and forth about it, to be completely honest, but I got to a point where the human element uh, of it was strong enough that we felt like it was the right thing to do in this situation. So that's Lincoln Riley talking about the Austin Kindle situation. So before we break down – Riley's point of view on this grant do you have any other thoughts like outside of Riley's statement that that you still want to touch on before we kind of talk maybe about what Riley said at all or do you want to just jump into what Riley just said well let me ask you I have like sort of a I I, I have sort of kind of like a, a giant it's not a monologue but I, I have some kind of bolted out thoughts just because this whole story and actually it was more of the um, this this was a frustrating story for me just in general um, just because one on the on the outset you know I was frustrated with Lincoln Riley and the OU football program for one trying to just kind of do this and not think that there wouldn't be any sort of backlash um, to me that shows um, a, a bit of naivete to be totally honest with you not realizing that this would turn into a big deal um, and then number two Lee the national media, or I'm sorry, the college football or sports media response to this has absolutely driven me insane. And that's mostly uh, where most of my thoughts lie. So, I don't know, what do you think? Should I should I hmm. go headfirst into that, or should we? Let's see. So, the next question I had in the rundown is, was Riley's original decision to block the immediate eligibility a good decision? And it sounds like you have some thoughts on that on the way Riley handled things and to be quite honest with you I I had very strong feelings and thoughts about this as well a week ago or when this was came out but upon listening to Lincoln Riley speak at the press conference on Sunday I have actually softened my stance a bit because I kind of understand more where Riley was coming from and I guess I'll leave it at that and I'll get into more details later but I before I was kind of very annoyed by how could you not anticipate this becoming a big story of course this is going to get out into the public because if you're blocking a transfer of Austin Kendall well Kendall his family or West Virginia's coaches or somebody is going to probably leak that because it benefits that side to try to pressure then Oklahoma to lifting the block and letting him be immediately eligible at West Virginia and that's probably what happened I don't know Jake Trotter's sources but I would just venture a guess that it's either Austin Kendall or Austin Kendall's family or West Virginia people maybe coaches at West Virginia that knew what was happening that didn't had uh, experiences with what was going on because Kendall was trying to potentially transfer there and so I thought wow how could you not anticipate this becoming a story but now listening to Riley talk it sounds like he was having a, a really difficult time wrestling with this decision because of what it could mean for future instances of this maybe coming up and 
And I, I, I kind of get maybe why he wasn't so vigilant in, uh, I, I guess, anticipating this becoming uh, a thing in the in the media. And then the blowback he he and the program got, it, it definitely did look like they kind of ended up caving to the social media mob because later that night it came out that they decided to lift the block. And on Lincoln Riley's end, he said, as you've heard in the soundbite, it was the human element because he all along he wanted to let Kendall go. It just he was it was tough for him because he was thinking in terms of what's best for Oklahoma and the program because. I mean, yeah, you can be a nice guy and you can want the best for Austin Kendall, but at the same time, he's in charge of Oklahoma football. And so that's what he was wrestling with. And upon hearing him talk about this, it made me kind of realize more about his point of view. And I'm not going to be as hard on him as I was before because now I, I learn more information. And that's kind of why I, you know, I didn't make anything public at all last week. I was like, okay, let's wait for more information to come out. And now that we have, and okay, I mean, I, I kind of understand his side a lot more than I did before. So what do you think? Wow, Lee, it's almost like this is a really complex issue with that is just drenched in shades of gray. Would you yeah. agree with that? And that's you can kind of you can kind of feel Lincoln Riley not in that soundbite I played, but some other soundbites I, I could have pulled, but I didn't want to. Just his tone, he was a bit a bit annoyed by probably the media and some of the people that maybe he feel like he, he felt did not know the whole story or thought they were filling in the blanks where it wasn't there and so you, you kind of a couple times his tone was a little harsh and you know maybe it was warranted so Lee here is where a lot of my frustration lies um and it was it was really just sort of the uh, frankly the faux outrage to the story and I'm sorry the people who are getting upset about it um in the media and on social media and whatnot they don't give two you-know-whats about Austin Kendall. They do not at all. All they care about is dunking on, on OU, is what it is. And I, and I don't mean like they have any sort of anything like against OU, just like inherently or anything like that. Um, let me explain. So I'm going um, to use Pat Forty and Pete Thamel's uh, op-ed that they wrote about this. They wrote about this really, really quickly, kind of right when Jake Trotter's story came out on that Wednesday. And it is a garbage, garbage op-ed. It is terribly reasoned and is just full of just uh, of emotion is all it is. They do not state or argue their case a single time. So and, and this is and I'm going to use this article because it's sort of it did a good job in my mind of summarizing just sort of how the sports media felt about this story writ large. And so here's what frustrates me. Everything that happens with and, and we'll use this um the Austin Kendall situation as, as an example here. And of course this has happened in the past too. It, it hasn't, it, it hasn't only happened in college football. It happens in college basketball and all that stuff as well. But here, here it is, Lee. These stories are always framed within a very specific political worldview that a vast majority of the sports media share. And so I'm just going to say this right from the beginning here, get your garbage political worldview out of college football because it does not help anybody. And all it does is just is just make garbage like this. And so here is that worldview. The worldview is that there are always untouchable people in power there to take advantage of the little guy. And this is where this comes from. That's all that this comes from. Because I can guarantee you that if there were it was a smaller school involved in this, nobody would give a crap at all. Okay? So I just want to go through some stuff here. Uh, just some quotes um, taken from their article just to show you how emotional this was for them. So 
They start their article out by saying, in recent years, universities that attempt to place limits on athlete transfers have been shamed out of it with increasing frequency. Public tolerance for such controlling impulses has all but vanished. But in the face of that trend, Oklahoma remained unapologetically shameless. Does that sound like any sort of measured or uh, anything that's coming, that's coming at this argument with any sort of rationality? They've already made up their mind. The, there doesn't seem like a whole lot of nuance in that opening statement and acknowledging that this is actually a pretty detailed and uh, I guess you mentioned a moment ago a, a, a gray area type topic. So, yeah, that it certainly seems like you kind of know where they're going from the beginning, which I guess is the point of a, a beginning of an article, which, okay. yeah, sure. And now continue. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to continue. And I'm just going to I'm going to take just excerpts from this article article notice how not once is their position backed up with logic or facts or anything not once is there any sort of counter argument that is uh that is detailed or anything like that it's all about emotion that's all it is here we go in no just world should a school or conference have the power to tell a student where he can or cannot go especially a graduate student who has fulfilled the core purpose of higher education by earning an undergraduate degree. It doesn't matter whether that player plans to attend the school's biggest rival. He should be free to do so. That is a level of institutional control that simply shouldn't exist in modern college sports. But it does, and the hypocrisy emanating from Oklahoma takes this particular situation to an even more odious level. And now comes Jalen Hurts from Alabama writing in as a grad transfer to once again shove Kendall back down the depth chart. Hertz is immediately eligible at Oklahoma, as he should be. He also could have been immediately eligible at any Southeastern Conference school, even Auburn, Alabama's bitter rival, because the league changed its rule to get in step with both modern times and common decency. First of all, I want to go back up to that the first thing that I, uh, the very first quote that I had up there. In no just world should a school or conference dot dot dot. In no just world? Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> this is framed like a political minority, like in a de- like in a despot country fighting for independence. This is college football. Yeah, it, it's college football. Like I, I just I I mean, come on. Forty and uh, Thamel never explained during that entire thing why. What, why should a player be able to transfer like this? I mean, because they're also, not also, there is a rule in the NCAA for a reason within interconference transfers. And obviously the reason would be that player has inside information on that school, competitive stuff. And that's obviously why Lincoln Riley was having trouble with this decision. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it wasn't it wasn't even him going to West Virginia. It was just him being immediately eligible at West Virginia. And I know there's not a whole big of a difference between that, but the fact it's not like Lincoln Riley was like, nope, nowhere in the Big Twelve can you go. It's just like, uh, eh, we'd like it. If you're gonna go somewhere in the Big Twelve, we'd prefer to just use that current rule and give us a year, you know, and at that point we're not going to play against you right away. Yeah, certainly we might play against you two years from now, but we just we don't like the idea of you immediately being able to go out there and play against us. And you know, you can debate whether or not that's a legitimate reason for wanting to block somebody from being immediately eligible. I, I mean, 
if that's the reason you want to use, that's a perfectly reasonable reason, in my opinion. But you could also easily argue the other way of like, oh, come on, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. I mean, yeah, cer certainly Kendall knows a lot about the program, but how much is that really going to help West Virginia? You know, who knows? Like, so I, mean, I think you can argue both ways to that. But I do think the reasoning of blocking somebody from being immediately eligible is, again, reasonable. I think you can argue that. And you didn't get a whole lot of that, that nuance in the national media or anybody debating this. I mean, you, know, sure. you didn't get a whole lot of that. Sure. Yeah. And I, I have to go back to this because it's, it's just yeah, more. Yeah, keep going. So I, I said there at the end, you know, the, the little bit about, you know, how he could have been immediately eligible in the SEC, whatnot. And then they say, you know, because the SEC has changed its rules to get in step with both modern times and common decency. Freaking common decency. Yeah, what does that even mean? Notice, like, yeah. just just notice how it's framed in the way that there's no way to disagree without being indecent. Oh, that's, that's a, a good point. That's a strict tell that this is a completely emotional argument. And so it's just, it, it bugs me because it tries to paint people who disagree with you as bad people. Not as, not as, a, not as a nuanced disagreement where there are shades of gray, like we said. So I want to I want to go into because they br they bring up the hypocrisy point, which is a which is a stupid terrible point and only brought up by people who don't know what what on earth they're talking about. So uh, there's they have a little they have a they have an anonymous Big Twelve source in their op-ed that says it's a little disingenuous. Said a Big Twelve source, two years ago they were fighting for Baker Mayfield to get a waiver. They fought for him and got that waiver. They're not willing to do it for Austin. Austin was a scholarship player. He was a scholarship player, and Baker Mayfield was a walk-on. There is a there is a material difference there, and anybody who does not Wait, point out that Time difference out. Is, is being you? a hack. This is me now. Okay. Yes. Okay. You, yeah. You need to make it clear when you're. <laughs> Sorry, that was me there. The um the the la the quote was they're not willing to do it for Austin, and so then I went into my thing. There is a material difference there, and if you do not highlight that difference, you're a hack. Period. Not to mention. Baker Mayfield, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Mayfield sit out a year? Yes, he did sit out a year. And yeah, so I mean, isn't that kind of the whole the whole point of this is that Kindle wants to be immediately eligible. And you know what? As a grad transfer, you can be immediately eligible anywhere outside the Big 12 Conference, except there is a rule that Oklahoma can block you from becoming immediately eligible inside the Big 12 Conference. So, you know, I know that Kindle's options, I guess, weren't as great as maybe originally thought because of the timetable of spring classes starting and getting enrolled in time for spring football. So I suppose maybe that's another reason why West Virginia was a place that he wanted to go because it fit his timetable. So I understand that. Uh, I thought originally that he had a lot more options. You know, the other school was Auburn that I guess he wouldn't visited. You know, who knows if there was other ones on the table, but it sounds like Kendall didn't have a whole lot of time to figure out which school he could go to. So I can kind of understand why this needed to be kind of escalated and this needed to be sped up for him. Um, and it also adds to why it was difficult for Lincoln Riley because it seems like he needed to make some decisions pretty quickly on something that he perceived to be a incredibly big decision, not just for Austin Kendall, but just the future of his program. And again, this is us going through all these different nuanced things that just was not described and not talked about that I, anywhere I saw in in the media, not just national media, but even local media in Oklahoma. I mean, it was all just, oh, this is so cut and dry. You got to let Kendall do whatever he wants. He did the right thing, blah, blah. And I suppose there's somewhat of an argument to be made for that. But at least you have to acknowledge all the different, all the other 
parts of this story that seemingly were kind of pushed to the background. And yeah, so let me let me be clear here. I think OU granting immediate, you know, the immediate waiver to Kendall, I thought that was the right move for a lot of different reasons, and I'll get to that at the end. I, I did think it was the right move. But I'm just when I see when I see this narrative out there that to these people is just so black and white and any sort of dissent, they're painting people as bad people or immoral in any sort of way. I'm going to push back on that real hard. And so I just, I want to keep going here. I said that that last quote about how, you know, they fought for Mayfield and they got the waiver. They weren't willing to do it for Austin. The next line, Lee, in the op-ed after that, and this is now, this is now 40 in Thamel's opinion here. It was, it was a one-line paragraph. They say after that, it's an appalling stance to take. Appalling? We're talking about the college football transfer portal, not the freaking Holocaust. <laughs> and it's just, I, th- this stuff just bugs me so much. Um, and so here, this, and this is what I'm, I'm going to kind of put a bow on it here. So Lee, and you've already sort of touched on this as well. The bottom line to all of this is that intellectually, OU certainly had a case in all of this. And they were, they were smeared as immoral by people who have no idea what on earth they're talking about. So... Forty and Thamel say that Kendall gaining immediate eligibility at West Virginia is, quote, unlikely to do fundamental harm to almighty Oklahoma football. Then another little another little clue in there that shows you it's all about the power dynamic. If that's your contention, and this is me talking to Forty and Thamel, then argue it. You didn't do it once. Instead, you want to paint Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley as unjust, appalling, and lacking in common decency. That is utter trash, and their op-ed was trash. So, anyway. yeah, I got it in front of me right now, and I'm reading through it and seeing the quotes that you mentioned. Yeah, this is, especially in light of what we know now from Lincoln Riley's presser on Sunday, and, and even before that, yeah, this is, this is a little over the top. And you mentioned this to me the other day, and I hadn't read it at all yet. And now I kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah. And so, and so here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna put a bow on everything about here's here's like and here's the nuance of it. So the rule to restrict transfer Lee within conference is a rule for a reason, and it's clearly there for competitive reasons. Forty and Thamel have literally no clue how valuable Austin Kendall could be for West Virginia. They have not a shred of a hint of a cl- of a clue. None. He's been part of every practice and every game plan for a program that has unprecedentedly dominated the conference for four consecutive years. Lincoln Riley Lee clearly thought that was of significance and also has a responsibility to do what's best for every player on his roster, not just Austin Kendall. And then so yeah. I, just, I just want to bring this up. For an example as to why the rule actually exists, Lee, because I, and I'm sure the rule is going to go bye-bye now, which is dumb because I'm almost certain something like this will probably happen in the future. So uh, just for an example as to, why, as, as to why this rule exists, let's put out just like a hypothetical. A stud player from a mediocre team in the conference, the first person that came to my mind, Lee, was, say, I don't know, the NFL MVP, Pat Mahomes. Let's say he wants to transfer to Texas Tech, who was 5-7 in his last year at Tech. Let's say he wants to do let's say he wants to grad transfer to a school like Oklahoma. Patrick Mahomes with Oklahoma's talent would pretty much be unfair to the rest of the conference, right? Would Texas yeah. Tech and other members of the conference be immoral, shameless, and unjust wanting to block that? Would they be? Hmm. Interesting. And then so uh, and I want to give a hat tip to 
uh, to Alan Kinney, blatant homerism. I saw him. He didn't. He didn't give the exact Patrick Mahomes um, hypothetical, but he did bring up just sort of that general scenario. And I thought that was a really good, you know, a really good point. And and you know, the obvious answer to that is no. Of course, those teams would not be immoral, shameless, or unjust for wanting to block that. It is a distinct competitive advantage that Oklahoma would be gaining. And so, and and of course, I could probably imagine Forty and Thamel stumping for Texas Tech in that scenario, which would show you the entire problem in their eyes is the power dynamic. So they look at OU as a powerful football program, a top college football, and Austin Kendall as the hopeless servant that doesn't have the power to break away. That is very obvious to me. Um, and it's just, they need to get that crap out of their writing. It sucks. It's bad. <laughs> and so... Well, to be fair, just you took a little, quick little shot at them. You don't have any evidence that they would actually back Texas Tech. You're right. Scenario. You're right. But this is me being emotional now and yeah. just... But anyway, so... But yeah, but to be clear, you know, I think OU should should have granted, you know, Kendall the waiver, which they did, which they did, because on the outside, it does look petty. It does. Um, and so my, you know, my thought process was it's not necessarily worth the dip in recruiting you might take. That could almost certainly be used as a recruiting tactic. Um, hey, you know, look at these guys. A quarterback who has signed a scholarship from them, you know, at a high school hasn't started a game from them for them since like 2014. Um, and if you try to transfer, they're going to try to block you. That that's where this, you know, this is that's where Lincoln Riley should have been like, uh, maybe not a great idea here. But just, I, I'm sorry, just to, just to paint him and the entire program as soulless, unjust monsters is just so over the top and so dishonest that I had to say something about it. That was good. I think you laid it out pretty well. And again, I hadn't seen that article until you just brought it up, and I kind of read it a little bit guess, as you were talking. I, yeah, I guess too long didn't read. My my main gripe is the the sports media treated the Lincoln Riley, Austin Kendall saga as a freaking human rights issue and not a competitive football issue, and it's absolutely ridiculous. All right. I like that. And I guess... M- I've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but the more I think about it, it was such a quick turnaround. So let's see. Riley got ahead of it and told Austin Kendall to get into the transfer portal. Okay. There was not even, not even a week really went by where all this happened. So I can totally understand the idea of Lincoln Riley still trying to figure out, okay, like I want to grant him immediate eligibility wherever he, oh, or like okay, Lincoln Riley. Let's say Lincoln Riley figures out that he wants to go to West Virginia. Oh, okay, Lincoln Riley thinks, well, that's a team that we play every single year, potentially twice a year. I like Austin, but he knows quite a bit. I I don't know if I want to give West Virginia a, a potential competitive advantage. I got to figure this out. I got to think about this. And so initially, whenever Riley probably has to, I mean, he's got to be in contact with Kendall's family and parent uh, and Kendall. And he, he brought it up multiple times at the press conference on Sunday. He was continually in communication with Kendall and the family. And so he first comes out and probably tells us to listen, I I'm not so sure I can let you be immediately eligible, even though you're a grad transfer and you can be immediately eligible anywhere outside the Big 12. I'm not sure I can allow that. And let's say maybe, I don't know if, if a day went by or a couple days went by and, you know, Kendall's on a timetable himself. He's like, I got to figure this out because classes are starting soon at West Virginia or wherever else. Like, I want to go to West Virginia. I know that uh, it came down to, I think, one or two schools, but he obviously officially went to West Virginia earlier last week or late last week. So, I mean, both parties are on a, a really quick escalated timetable. So Lincoln Riley's never had to deal with this before. The transfer portal is brand new. 
I can totally understand him not wanting to go ahead and just say, all right, immediately eligible and, you know, weighing all the potential backlash that this could get in the media. And as he was probably trying to weigh it, as he mentioned multiple times at the press conference, because he was still trying to make a decision, then the story comes out, you know, the, the, the Trotter story comes out, you know, who knows who gave Trotter the information. Again, my theory is that it's either Austin Kendall's family or West Virginia coaches or people in the know at West Virginia that told him because they wanted to speed things up and put the pressure on Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma to grant him that immediate eligibility. This is, I hope this makes sense because when you put all of this in context now, I certainly understand where Lincoln Riley was coming from and why he wasn't so sure at the beginning to just straight up say, Austin, I love you. Go ahead and go to West Virginia and be immediately eligible. Because again, he had to weigh both sides. He had to weigh Austin Kendall as the person, but he also had to weigh Oklahoma as a program. And apologies to Austin Kendall, Oklahoma and the program weighs heavier than Austin Kendall and in his future. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way life works. And not to, I know that that's diminishing Austin Kendall, but and I, I, I do believe Lincoln Riley when he says that he loves Austin Kendall and he wishes him the best and he, he said he wanted him to stay. But also Lincoln Riley was basically helping out Austin Kendall and telling him, hey, go to the transfer portal. If you're wanting to play college football and get some starts and actually get some snaps, it's best for you to get out of here. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I, I, we don't know what he said to him. But yeah, I mean, he wanted to be honest and upfront. And so I understand where Lincoln Riley's coming from originally and I didn't say this on the podcast or I didn't say this publicly I was actually kind of in my mind privately kind of kind of hard on Riley not as much anymore um, and sure I mean him granting the immediate eligibility eventually I suppose that's I guess that's the right move I I don't even know I still don't even know I mean part of me kind of wishes that he would have stuck to his guns and not given in but at the same time though he has clearly a good relationship with Austin Kendall and so that the human element made uh, made more sense to him and that therefore he went with Austin Kendall and I guess now we'll see if this decision has any ripple effects Lincoln Riley's words down the line and we don't know if that's going to happen now until it comes up again I'm sorry you can talk about the human effect all you want but what if what if Austin Kendall does have some inside intel on OU that that helps West Virginia beat OU then how yeah. does then then how does how does how does Lincoln Riley feel about the eighty five other kids on his roster who are heartbroken because of that? I mean, there's that's, just there's, that's there's what so he had to many, weigh. He I had just, to weigh that. That's what he so absolutely difficult. did. And so, I know I thought um, kind of when this was happening last week, I thought uh, Eddie Radosovich at Sooner Scoop did a pretty good job of satirizing this on Twitter. He was I, I saw him sort of. Uh, uh, commenting. As Eddie is wont to do. Yeah, I, I saw him commenting on on people's like really hyperbolic posts, basically asking them, "Hey, should we arrest Lincoln Riley?" Because <laughs> I mean, it, it's right because these people were like were accusing him of being like a criminal, basically. And it's just like, it's just guys, it's college football. Calm yeah. the hell down. It's like ultimately, no matter what happens, Austin Kendall's going to be fine. He's going to find somewhere to play. He's going to play. He may not be, you know, if it didn't go his way, he may not be happy with Lincoln Riley. And, you know, that's just life. And But, like, ultimately, Kendall was going to be fine. And Oklahoma was going to be fine. And, yeah, it's it's kind of this, that outrage culture that we live in where it's got to be extreme one way or extreme the other. Yeah, can't be any nuance in anything. 
All right, I think that was a pretty good discussion about the Austin Kindle situation. Anything else that we haven't touched on? I think we may have, may have covered it all, and it might be time to go into Jalen Hurts. No, I, I hope Austin Kindle is successful at West Virginia, although I have my doubts about whether or not he's good enough to be, but we'll see. I mean, it's fair to have those doubts considering that we can infer that Lincoln Riley didn't feel like he's the guy. I mean, he told him to get into the transfer portal. You know me, on this podcast, I've always defended Austin Kindle. I even had a really ridiculous take before the season began that Austin Kittle might win the job and now looking back I admit that that's a ridiculous take I was wrong about that essentially what it came down to was uh you know I I bought what Lincoln Riley was saying during fall camp and either again I know you don't agree with part of this but either Lincoln Riley was telling us the truth about Kendall's skills and then at some point during the season they just kind of deteriorated to the point where he just didn't feel like he was a good candidate Kendall was for the starting job in 2019 or Riley just wasn't being 100% truthful with us throughout the process so I it's one of those two things I'm not sure which one it is I know where you stand on that but uh you know maybe him injuring his knee you know maybe him getting hurt and you know missing some time and maybe that hurt his mobility and you know who knows like who knows what happened but I I'm with you I wish him the best I think he's a good player and I'm I'm happy that at some point not at some point this year, it looks like under Neil Brown at West Virginia, he'll get that opportunity to start and play a lot of snaps. And, you know, we'll see if he can be a difference maker for West Virginia. And, you know, hopefully he doesn't end up being the the key that the Mountaineers need to knock off Oklahoma, because that would sure be horrible for OU that they let him go and play. And then just like that, he gets back at OU. <laughs> but that's the risk you take, I suppose, when you let him be immediately eligible. Let's talk Jalen Hurts. The last podcast, Grant, I think you kind of joked that Hurts would be committing to Oklahoma kind of any time. And you kind of turned out to be right about that because OU joined or Hurts joined Oklahoma literally the day after we released the podcast on Wednesday, January 16th. So congratulations on unofficially breaking the news of Jalen Hurts. I just kind of figured that it had to be any day. You know he's he's got to get on campus I and mean, he's he's got to get there for spring practice and whatnot and it just it just kind of seems like these things don't really draw out that long I, I figured it was it had to be at least you know by the end of of last week and I think we both had pretty good feelings that Hertz was going to be a sooner at some point in the near future and now he is so let's first hear from Lincoln Riley and then we'll kind of just go from there I think he can certainly has the ability to be a really good leader for us um but you know he he's got to get in here and and learn this team you know learn this offense he's got to get in here and and you know compete for this quarterback job I mean there there's a lot there's a lot of steps ahead but there's no doubt I mean the guy's been in you know some of the biggest and best games in college football here over the last few years and and I've been just as I've gotten to know him been really impressed by the the way that he carries himself the way that he works um and so there's a lot. There's not going to be much that happens to this kid that he hasn't been through already. So you appreciate that side of it, but he's he's got to come do it here. You know, it's not immediately just going to snap in because he had success at another school, and he you know and he realizes that he's excited, he's hungry to come work. We're excited to to get him going with our guys. Grant, in your opening take, you said that Hertz will be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma this fall. In that clip, Riley mentioned that Hertz will need to get in here and compete for the job. So are we destined for another fall camp of a heated quarterback battle? 
Probably not. I would I would guess. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised if Lincoln Riley sure tries to make it seem that way, just like he did last summer. Yeah, there's a precedent for it already, and we'll see what happens in the spring game. I mean, but I, I mean, all those guys I, will play. We'll see who looks the best, and then kind of go from there. But I mean, are are you asking me if if I think there's any chance that Jalen Hurts isn't the starting quarterback? Sure. No, there's no chance. He's the starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I know this isn't pro sports where it's like a guy, let's say Kirk Cousins, for example, obviously gets a huge contract. and It's like, okay, yeah, Kirk Cousins is the starting quarterback for the Vikings. You know, in college, there's always kind of like there's always a new quarterback here every few years, and there's a competition. And, you know, this is about as close as it gets to an NFL player signing as a free agent and essentially being the starting quarterback. I mean, he's got one year of eligibility left. Oklahoma loses Kyler Murray. Lincoln Riley wanted an older kind of quarterback and you know especially with Hertz's background yeah I mean it it would be the upset of all upsets if Jalen Hurts is not the starting quarterback in week one against Houston if that's the case then Tanner Mordecai is really special if he beats out Jalen Hurts or Spencer Rattler Spencer Rattler I, Spencer and, Rattler's and, and, not beating out anybody month. showing up in June in, not in one month not happening. or whatever it is yeah I mean that if you want to talk about the next coming yeah. if that happens me, then boy actually yeah can we can we just get that out of the way right now guys Spencer Rattler never had a chance to be the starting quarterback in 2019 for Oklahoma He's not an early enrollee. He's a true freshman. I don't. I, I understand that Trevor Lawrence was able to win a national title as a true freshman this, this year. Uh, he went through spring practice, and he's also, you know, like the most sought after recruit in the history of high school football. So, I, guys, Spencer Rattler was never going to be the quarterback in 2019. Just accept it. Thank you. <laughs> so we talked about Hertz decent amount on the last podcast. Now we know Hertz is officially coming to Oklahoma. I don't know if you have additional thoughts on Jalen Hurts and if you do not, because honestly, I don't, I guess I can reiterate you know, our thoughts. I mean, we both like it. We, you, you know, you've kind of compared Jalen Hurts to Sam Ellinger. Uh, you did it in your opening take. I like the fact that Hurts, you know, his experience is always going to be touted. And Lincoln Riley talked about his experience quite a bit. The fact that he played at Alabama is significant. He, he's got a national title. Right, he won a national title, didn't he? Well, I mean, yeah, he. But you know, he didn't finish the game. Oh, okay, yeah. I, it was the game. The, his really good game was the national title they lost to Clemson with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, okay, where he he, right. he made a bunch of really big plays in that game. Okay, in the, so yeah, in the second they, half. Okay, yeah. So it shows you how much I really even care about that kind of stuff because I, I forget. I mean, and also his record as a starter, I don't couldn't care less. I mean, a lot of people would be twenty six and two as Alabama starting quarterback. I, I don't care about that. Uh, it, the fact that he's been in a lot of big games. That's significant, and the fact that he's a really good elite runner of the football as a quarterback, and he will become a better passer of the football at Oklahoma is significant to me as well. Also, Lee, I do just want to his, his his numbers as a freshman at Alabama under Lane Kiffin were pretty darn good. It wasn't really until last year where it seemed like he took a step back. That was under Brian mm-hmm. Dable at Alabama, but under Lane Kiffin, I mean his his numbers his freshman year were were pretty darn good. So. Um, and he never got a chance, really, to play in this new Alabama offense that Tua has been running. And I, a lot of that, I mean, I guess all the stories were that they changed the offense up quite a bit because Tua's skill set's better than Jalen Hurts' skill set. So, you know, who knows how – I'm sure that had a big factor in it, but, you know, who knows what would have happened if, let's say, they changed the offense up the way it is now and Hurts got a chance to play a lot of snaps or – you know, as many snaps as two, and maybe he would have had a lot better success this past year under Mike Loxley. You know, we don't know. I mean, it's yeah, he had he had so. forty two touchdowns his freshman year. 
Um, That's good. It's really good. Yeah, only had, only had twenty five his sophomore year, um, and you know, I mean, his 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 passing numbers and very very limited action this year were were really good. Were were really good. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I I'm more excited about Jalen Hurts's just like I said the the culture that he brings, his experience is is such a big deal, especially in college football. Um, I mean, there are so many instances of 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 a quarterback getting into a really really big time atmosphere and just pissing down their leg. That's not going to happen with Jalen Hurts. It just isn't. Um, so I, I think that's something that we can look towards. And also, you know, he is an elite NFL-level athlete at quarterback, and that's not nothing. So, um, like I said, I've, I, I've, I've said I think Sam Ellinger is, is a slightly better thrower, and I think Jalen Hurts is a decidedly better runner and a better athlete. And I, that's, that's basically the comparison between the two players. Um, I think OU's got, you know, has, has the player with the higher upside basically a couple notables from Lincoln Riley's press are talking about Hertz that I don't have sound for but I'll just tell you what he said he said that he thinks Hertz is a capable thrower and from the film that he's seen from this past year he, he thinks that Hertz has improved as a very very capable thrower I believe was Riley's direct quote and of course that's significant considering that Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield are are I mean Mayfield's an elite level throw of the football Kyler Murray not as good as Baker Mayfield but Compared to other college players, Kyler Murray's uh, an elite thrower of the football college-wise and maybe maybe even NFL-wise. We'll see. Hurts is not quite there, but it's good to hear Bradley say that you know he likes what he saw in the film. Also, one of the notes that I found pretty interesting from the presser is that Riley described Hurts as an old soul and that sometimes when he talks to Jalen Hurts, Hurts seems like he's older than Riley, and Riley kind of laughed about that. Boy, what does that mean? Like, I mean, Riley is so I mean, Riley's a young guy, obviously, but I'm kind of curious to hear what Jalen Hurts says now whenever he talks. I mean, I've heard that he's a communications major guy, so he might just be very uh, not coached up, but deliberate with his his sound bites in the media. So he may not ever say anything whenever we get a chance to finally talk to him. But an old soul, that's huh? That, all right. I mean, that might mean something. So maybe he's a potential big time leader and he's a guy that can help out that locker room well i hope at the very least it means that he's mature yeah um and yeah well, he I certainly mean, does think, seem mature based on all of his actions over the yeah, past yeah i i, I really do think that if this works out in the way that lincoln riley is envisioning that jalen hurts is going to bring a lot more than just you know his talents on the field to the program like i said i, I think that alabama mentality that championship mentality is something that the players on this roster need to be exposed to and I think that's that's almost certainly part of Riley's calculus with this as well. That's a good point. The the intangible stuff, especially the fact that he's he's got that experience at Alabama championship mentality. I think that is significant. Because so I, I, you know, yeah, I, I think a lot, you know, a lot a lot of people are going to talk about it. But I think you know one of the things that Clemson does have is that they have you know the mindset that they that they can beat Alabama, and no one else really has that right now. Um, and so I guess that that's something that I think is going to have to be learned as well by the people, by, by the players on the roster and, you know, going up and getting your, you know, your, your butt handed to you by Alabama can, you know, can help a little bit in that regard. Um, but a lot of the times in order to, to take those steps, that's done in the off season, that's done in the weight room, that's done in the meeting room, the film room. And, and hopefully that's where Jalen Hurts will make a massive, massive, uh, you know, effect on the on the program 
Let's do a couple of Facebook questions we got in regards to Jalen Hurts. And we actually got these questions before Hurts officially was coming to Oklahoma. We forgot to get to them on the last podcast, but they're relevant now because Hurts is at Oklahoma. So this one's from Chase. He says, if Hurts isn't the best quarterback on Oklahoma's roster, do you think Oklahoma will still start him over Spencer Rattler, considering the lack of experience on the offensive line and since Hurts is only there for one year anyways? So, Chase, you heard Grant's thoughts on Rattler. I share them. Rattler's not he's not going to be the starter. He's not going to really compete for it just because he gets in so late. And there's a reason why Riley wanted a guy like Hertz to come in because in my opinion, it's going to be between, well, mainly Jalen Hurts. He's going to start uh, or Tanner Mordecai, I suppose, if, if there really is a competition, Rattler's not going to be the guy this year. If so, it would be an incredibly, incredible monumental upset. And the lack of experience on the offensive line that you bring up, I mean, it's the general thought is, okay, well, you have an experienced quarterback coming in that's played a lot of snaps in college football at a high level. Oklahoma's breaking in a new offensive line. They've been incredibly solid the last two years, not even more than just solid. They've been elite, not if not the best offensive line in the country in 2018. So I guess having a experienced quarterback can only help the new offensive lineman you would you expect, even though the new quarterback has not played at Oklahoma all before. So that's my answer to that question, Grant. I'll let you touch on Chase's question as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I share your thoughts. The same with Spencer Rattler. Um, if Spencer Rattler somehow emerges as the starting quarterback for OU this year, that means he is so incredibly good that we can't even fathom how good he is yet. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean that with all sincerity. So uh, if, if, if he does win the job, that can only be a very, very positive thing because it means that he is incredibly good. So, um, and then about the, the lack of experience on the offensive line. Yeah, I, I would, I would much rather have a guy who has started 28 games in college, you know, two national title games, you know, has been the quarterback of record in three sec title games, um, going up against a green offensive line. I, I think that is, that is certainly kind of, you know, that's where you want to be for sure. And also, you know, I'm, um, there, there will be times next season where the offensive line does struggle. That's just kind of how it works, especially when a lot of, uh, a lot of the success of the offensive line really does come with continuity and staying injury free and whatnot. So, um, you know, the first month or so of the season next year, they probably will, will, will show some warts, but at the same time, this is, you know, 2019 is possibly the most talented, you know, offensive line from a recruiting standpoint, that OU has thrown out there in a really, really long time. Um, so just just looking at it right now, it probably looks like Bray Walker is going to be the starting left tackle. He's a five star guy. Um, Marquise Hayes, who is a uh, was a was a top one hundred guy. He was a four star guy. Of course, we all know about Creed Humphrey. Uh, Tyrese Robinson was a four star top one hundred guy, and the same with Adrian Ely. Uh, I mean, this is it's going to be a very athletic and and on paper a talented offensive line. We'll just see if they can put it all together. All right, the next question's from Michael. And again, this was from uh, last week in regards to Jalen Hurts. And Hurts is at Oklahoma now. Michael says, if Jalen Hurts comes to Oklahoma, which he is here now, can Hurts throw the ball well enough to get the Sooners back to the playoff? Or does he even start at Oklahoma because he's such an inaccurate passer? That's been the knock on Jalen Hurts is he's just not anywhere near as good of a throw over the football as Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. Little context here: Not many college quarterbacks are anywhere near those two players in throwing the football. And again, Michael, we've already kind of touched on this a little bit. Uh, Jalen Hurts will be fine. He'll be he'll become a better 
throw over the football at Oklahoma just in Lincoln Riley's system because what Lincoln Riley does so well is he puts his quarterbacks in great positions to complete easy throws, get their confidence up. He'll scheme open receivers for his his quarterbacks to hit. I mean, Jalen Hurts' completion percentage will increase at Oklahoma just because of the offense that Jalen Hurts will be playing in. So I don't think you should really worry about him that much about being an inaccurate passer. Sure, will there be instances in games where maybe he'll miss a throw here and there that we're used to seeing Kyler or Baker Mayfield make? Of course. I mean, Murray or Mayfield will miss throws too, though. So I don't think that's that big of a deal because of what Lincoln Riley can do and how important coaching is to quarterbacks. What do you think, Grant? Well, I mean, if we're going to start comparing him to Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, we're not going to have a good time, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I, I share your thoughts. I'm not, I think it's completely legitimate to, to kind of take some pause about his throwing ability. Um, and that's certainly something over spring practice we're going to be watching over fall practice, and then once the game starts, we're going to be watching that really closely. Um, so, of course, it's going to be in the back of my mind. If you had to ask me today how I feel about it, I'm not insanely worried about it. Um, but I absolutely, you know, I, I will concede, and I don't think you're crazy for being, you know, slightly worried about it. That's fair. We've also got some Facebook comments, and so these will be new. Now that Hertz is at Oklahoma, I asked for comments, thoughts. What do you think about Hertz or Austin Kendall, things like that. And so we'll get to those comments right now. TJ says, Jalen Hurts puts Oklahoma in the playoff picture due to him being a mobile quarterback, and Oklahoma is going to have a very young offensive line next year. So when things break down, that Hurts will be able to run the football. Okay, that's a logical thought, TJ. And again, Hurts' ability to run the football as a quarterback is elite. He is an elite-level runner of the football as a quarterback. Uh, not quite Kyler Murray elite, but nobody is Kyler Murray elite running the football except for maybe Lamar Jackson. Jalen Hurts will be elite in the short yardage in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. That'll be, I mean, that that's going to be similar to, um, you know, a lot of people don't remember how devastating the belldozer was, you know, in, the, in those seasons. Uh, Jalen Hurts can be just as devastating a, a, as a short yardage runner, and I think that's something that, you know, the Sooners, they, they, they've done a lot better with that in the last couple of seasons, um, but it, you know, it never hurts to, to basically have a sure thing in short yardage. And that's what Jalen Hurts will be in this conference. Just one quick thought on that, though. It'll be curious to see how often Riley calls on that, because I'm sure that'll be a thing. But the short yardage stuff and with all those bodies around there, that does increase the likelihood of potential injury. So, you know, how will Riley weigh the thoughts of Hurts maybe getting hurt, doing too many short yardage, banging into the line kind of things? I mean, and he does have, have plenty of months to figure that out. You know, he, he did go through some high ankle stuff over the course of this past season as well. Hmm, okay. More comments about Jalen Hurts, Austin Kendall, things like that from Brad on Facebook. Brad says, it'll be curious to see how Jalen Hurts does in shootouts if needed. He also says that he likes that Hurts is a team first kind of guy. And as far as Austin Kendall goes, Brad says, you got to let Kendall go where he wants. If Riley didn't think he was good enough for Oklahoma. And he does say though brad also adds that it does kind of stink that a guy who knows oklahoma's playbook and signals and everything like that could be an opponent twice next year and brad you bring up points i'm sure weighed heavily on lincoln riley and that's why it was so difficult for lincoln riley to make this decision in such a short amount of time and that's why this whole thing became a thing uh 
other than that, I uh, appreciate your comments. And I, the, your first comment is somewhat interesting. Yeah, I mean, how will he be in shootouts? Also curious uh, about that. I don't really have like a good answer for it now, but I think it's certainly an interesting thing to, to question. Because he's never really been asked to go back and forth with the exception, I guess, you want to go back to that national title game against Clemson, which was a big-time boxing match where I believe that game was pretty much back and forth. That, uh, Oklahoma, that Alabama ended up losing on that last-second touchdown pass from Watson to Renfro. I mean, I think that was technically a shootout. It was. Like that was a while the, ago. It was like in the fourth quarter, yeah. I think they traded scores like the last three okay. or four possessions of the fourth quarter, which it doesn't doesn't get any more you know pressurized than that. And like we said, J- Jalen Hurts made the seemingly you know winning play of that game before Deshaun Watson uh, you know went down the field and and won it for Clemson. And our last comment, uh, Sam, who's a friend of Grant and I's, uh, he likes the move of Jalen Hurts because he's a, got all the physical tools to get Oklahoma to the playoff. And he's also been to the college football playoff quite a bit. So he likes that. Sam points out that being on the Alabama's roster is certainly helpful as well. Uh, also, Sam kind of ends it saying that clearly Oklahoma has become a place for quarterbacks to grow and flourish. I think he's a solid bet. <laughs> it just sucks, though, that his last name doesn't start with an M. <laughs> Imagine if Oklahoma could go from Murray, Mayfield, Mertz. <laughs> I had to think about what he meant by that for a second and i realized he meant murray and mayfield had m as their last name <laughs> jalen mertz just doesn't have the same kind of flow as jalen hurts not quite no all right oh and then uh, we have one more well we can say that for the very very end we have one more comment that has nothing to do with hurts or, or kindle or anything like that so grant do you have any other thoughts on jalen hurts or would you like to move on to alex grinch not really i think i just i'm just excited to watch him play in ou system next year i think it's uh it's a really just uh, it's a really interesting situation. It, it's one that you know obviously we've never seen before, but you know I, I've I've always wondered whether or not OU would ever be the beneficiary of one of these huge grad transfers. And here you go. I, I think it's it's super. I'm just I'm really interested to see what he looks like in you know in a Sooner uniform and just to see how he uh, how well he's able to play in Lincoln Riley's system. I just I'm most of all I'm excited and at the same time I'm just I'm really intrigued to see how everything is going to look and just how the makeup of the team changes I think it's going to be um, this specifically 2019 was already going to be a really interesting year but I think this just kind of adds a different shine to it this is going to be a a really really intriguing college football season you know when you're looking at it you know at the Sooners angle well put I agree with your sentiments let's move on Alex Grinch made his first appearance publicly wearing Sooners gear on Sunday afternoon. Also, new inside linebackers coach Brian Odom and cornerbacks coach Roy Manning made appearances with the media as well on Sunday. And Grant, I believe on our last show that you talked about Odom being hired. That hire was not official at the time, but of course that hire was made official basically right after we finished recording the previous podcast. And then also the hire of Manning was made official as well, basically after we got done recording our podcast. So basically our last podcast was recorded at a very inconvenient time. Uh, Also, I suppose the biggest news, though, of Sunday, if you're going to find any sort of news outside of, I guess, Kendall and Hertz and things like that, if you want to call any of that news, which I guess learning more context is news. But aside from that, the biggest news from Sunday, I think, was that Oklahoma's defensive coaching staff is now set, which is something that we've been kind of wondering about for the last few weeks. Here's... OU's defensive coaching staff as follows. Alex Grinch, of course, is the defensive coordinator, and he also will coach the safeties. Roy Manning will coach the cornerbacks. Brian Odom is the inside linebackers coach. 
Ruffin McNeil stays on. He will coach outside linebackers now. And Calvin Thibodeau will also stay on as the defensive line coach as well, like he has been. So, Grant, Ruffin and Thibodeau sticking around. Bob Diaco is officially out. The biggest news to me, though, and I'll let you kind of go whichever way you want, but to me the biggest news is that Oklahoma will have two position coaches for the secondary players because that's different than how things went with Kerry Cooks because Cooks was in charge of the entire secondary. So, Did Mike Stoops not have any part of the secondary? Mike Stoops was in charge of linebackers. Oh, yeah, Mike that's Stoops right. coached right. the outside linebackers. Yeah, you're right. Okay, and yeah. so that's what uh, Diaco then transitioned to after Stoops got fired. Diaco came in, coached outside linebackers because Kish had inside linebackers, and then Ruffin was just the defensive coordinator. Okay. So that's well. the – yeah, that's how everything shake, shakes out. So, yeah, I do not believe – and, you know, maybe prior to – Kerry Cook's getting on staff. Maybe there was a point where Oklahoma had a safeties coach and a cornerbacks coach. But as far as I know, at least at the end, Kerry Cooks was in charge of the entire secondary. Well, in the Big 12, I'm certainly not upset with having multiple coaches for the secondary. <laughs> yeah, that's basically, yeah, I'm the same way. But yeah, I mean, you're right about this staff, too. I think you had mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, but, you know, we don't we, we know what we know about Alex Grinch. And of course, everything he says sounds great to us right now just after the last five or six seasons. But, and you know, we'll, play, we'll play some sound from him in a bit. Mm-hmm. And, but we don't know a whole lot about Roy Manning and Brian Odom, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I do. So um, uh, I, I think a lot of the time, I, I think um, um, the message boards were a little confused at first because Roy Manning was coaching outside linebackers at UCLA and how he's going to be coaching the corners. Um, I, can, I can understand you know, why instinctually you would be a little skeeved out by that. But at the same time, I mean, these these coaches they they switch position groups all of the time. Um, what what I think is most important here is that it looks like Alex Grinch got the guys that he wanted. Um, he's worked with both of these guys before, and I think that's probably the most important uh, aspect of this entire thing. Other than that, you know, it sounds like these guys are young and they're they're ready to kind of hit the recruiting trail and and bring the fire that's necessary. Other than that, you know, I, I just in, until we actually see these guys, you know, the product on the field, what else can we say about them? So as far as Roy Manning goes, Alex Grinch made a point to call Manning an elite coach. He made it a a point also to say that he was like one of the big time guys, him and Odom. He wanted those guys on his staff. And as far as Manning's previous job coaching linebackers at UCLA, earlier in his career, he was at Michigan coaching cornerbacks at Michigan. And Grinch made a point to bring up that he was an elite cornerbacks coach at Michigan. Granted, this is all Grinch. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll find out, you know, how how good of a coach he is moving forward. But it's not like Manning has not coached the corners before. He has done that. He did it at Michigan. Now he's going to be the cornerbacks coach at Oklahoma. And with Grinch being the defensive coordinator and also the safeties coach at OU, clearly Grinch finds it necessary to also have a cornerback-specific coach in Roy Manning. And they work together at Washington State. He obviously trusts Roy Manning. And again, I'll reiterate the fact that there's a coach for the safeties and a coach for the cornerbacks gets me excited because of how difficult it is to play pass defense in the Big 12. These defensive backs need to be coached up better. They need to improve. And right now in January of 2019, I think things are more positive than they were in January of 2018. But again, it's just a, it's a thought. We don't know for sure until we see games. So let's play some sound from Lincoln Riley talking about Alex Grinch and 
Riley said some things in this soundbite that I think that you and I have kind of hoped for in a new defensive coordinator. And we'll listen to it and kind of go from there. His history, you know, how aggressive his defenses have been. I love the fact that in all those years at Washington State, they were towards the top of the country in tackles for loss each and every year. And, and they had very good players there, but it's not like they were playing with NFL players at every single position. And I just thought he did a remarkable job there. And then, you know, talking to so many different guys, I actually honestly – this time around, uh, this year, I did not talk to Mike about him. I had talked to Mike about Alex several times in the past, not when we had a job open, but just, you know, watching what they were doing there and asking about him and just, you know, normal conversations we had had. I, I already knew what Mike thought about Alex, so that 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 would have been a waste of about a two-hour phone call. So, <laughs> so, so I hung on on that one. But uh. Okay, so we'll start at the end of that soundbite. Mike, of course, is Mike Leach at Washington State. And so if anybody knows Mike Leach, he talks a lot. He talks and talks and talks. So Riley making fun of the fact that if he talked to Mike Leach about Alex Grinch, he'd been on the phone for two hours. But the beginning part of that soundbite, Grant, talking about how Grinch runs an aggressive style defense, got a lot of tackles for loss at Washington State. That's what Riley really enjoyed about it. And then he also mentioned earlier in the uh, at parts of the, the press conference about how it's not just scheme, it's just kind of the mentality, the mentality that Alex Grinch brings and he wants for his defense, that was incredibly important too. So just a lot of stuff that I guess you and I have talked about in the last several months since Mike Soups was fired and what Oklahoma is looking for in a defensive coordinator. It sounds like Alex Grinch has some of those attributes and that's nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a single thing that any of these guys said during their press availability that I didn't just love. And a lot of it is, has been, you know, what we have been saying, Lee, for the last couple of years. And so that's obviously good to see, and it's good to hear as well. But like I said, we can't really do anything with that information until we see the product on the field. And so um, I, I guess we'll wait until September to see what it looks like. But as of, <laughs> as of right now, uh, you know, things are looking good. I, I, am, I am a fan of this, of this defensive philosophy for sure. So I have two more sound bites. They're both from Alex Grinch. One of the sound bites is Grinch talking about takeaways. One of the first things we talked about when Grinch was hired and even before he was hired is how good Washington State was in those three years that he was the defensive coordinator at taking the football away from the opponent and how bad Oklahoma has been recently at taking the ball away from the opponent. So here is Alex Grinch who coined a phrase about takeaways. Uh, takeaways, um, yeah, we, you know, we, we kind of, uh, you know, uh, coined the phrase, to, you know, takeaways equal victory, and and, and so it it, uh, it it stems from the fact that the sole purpose of the defense to be on the football field is to get the ball back to the offense, and in, in for whatever reason, in other sports, no one seems to be confused that way. If you're playing bang on, you use other uh, sports as reference, but you know, in basketball, if you're defending a guy, you know, you want to take the ball away from him, and and so defensively. You know, from you want to you know contain yards. You obviously want to limit points, but the purpose behind every play in football is for the the defense to get the ball back to the offense. And you know, oh by the way, that the ball doesn't have any working knowledge of who it's supposed to 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 uh, be thrown to. It does. It doesn't know that the quarterback is supposed to throw it to a receiver. It doesn't know it's supposed to stay in the running back's arms. And so, if the ball doesn't know. Uh, then, then how on earth do we know? So that, that gives us every opportunity on every snap of football to get the ball back. So that was Alex Grinch talking about takeaways. And sure, a cynic could say it seems somewhat platitude-y, especially the last kind of part. But Grant, I, I got to tell you, I've never heard a defensive coach 
or a defensive coordinator, I guess to be more specific, in football, describe playing defense the way he described it as every single play is an opportunity to get the ball away from the offense. I've never heard a defensive coach describe football that way. And that I thought was, wow, that's new. I, I mean, because normally it's just, you know, you want to stop the team. You know, obviously you wanted to go for turnovers, but obviously you're not going to get a turnover every single play. But the fact that the way he, Alex Grinch looks at it is that every single snap is an opportunity to get the ball back. That seems incredibly different than the mentality that Oklahoma has had in the past handful of years or even more so night and at day. least it's night and day yeah it, i mean granted again it's january and i will make the point that i didn't pull this soundbite but grinch did acknowledge at a point during the press conference when he was asked about expectations and things like that that hey you know this is a january press conference a lot of the things i'm saying here they're just going to sound like hollow promises because again it's a january presser and there's a lot of things to be done and so you know it's smart on his end because there's it's not intelligent to promise a bunch of stuff because that's difficult to deliver I mean he knows what this Oklahoma defense was last year and the year before he called it a work in progress during the press conference and a lot of it is going to be hitting the ground running and not wasting any time not wasting any days and he made a, a, a point to talk about how it's so important to not waste any time in spring ball and then you know there's only so much you can do over the summer but then when you get to fall camp you can never get behind because if you get behind in this business, you're not given a whole lot of time to fix things. And so he's aware that things were bad, that's a work in progress, and he's got to be on point because there's expectations and there's a standard at Oklahoma, which he also he commented on that, yes, he knows there's a standard of excellence in Norman. Again, all of this is very platitude -y. And what do you expect? And that's what you're going to get but the fact that he kind of acknowledged that at one point that yeah I know this is a, a January presser what I say you can't put a whole lot of stock into because there's so much more football ahead of us I think is good too and I know that you kind of like the idea that he that he's aware that you know this is still going to take a lot of work yeah I like self-awareness it's good any other thoughts on just the fact that he he says every single snap is an opportunity to take the ball away from the the offense. I mean, that's have you heard that before? Not really, no. And I'm not, you know, I I I don't hate it at all. You know, any, <laughs> it, you know, I think I think anything, you know, anybody who came in and was going to start preaching aggressiveness and and dictating what the offense does, like Alex Grinch does, um, I, I think that was going to excite every single one of us because, like I just said, it's night and day from what we've heard from this program since about the 20, you know, since about the 2014 season. And, uh, obviously that's something that, I, you know, that I'm excited for as a fan and whatnot. But like I said, you know, it's still, I, I, I still, I, I've been so kind of burned by this defense the last few years that I'm, I'm really going to take a wait and see approach. Um, I know last year I was pretty convinced the defense was going to get better from the year before that clearly did not happen. Um, and I'm just, I'm personally, so was I, yeah, so was I, and you know, I'm just not going to fall into that same trap this season, but at the same time, um, last year after the Rose bowl, these are not the things that we were hearing from defensive coaches and from Lincoln Riley. Um, it was all about how they just needed more talent on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and that was it. So there was nothing about philosophy, nothing about how they were going to do anything different. It was just all about how they just needed to get better players in there, which I agree with, but you know, at the same time, the coaching staff needs to do what they're, you know, supposed to do from an X's and O's standpoint and a philosophy standpoint. 
And uh, this is this is clearly something that um, I'm encouraged about as of right now. And speaking of that talent uh, message that Oklahoma and Riley was was putting out there, yeah, for a year or two. Going back to Lincoln Riley talking about Grinch a moment ago, he said that he liked what he was doing at Washington State, and those weren't a bunch of elite NFL-type players there. So Riley acknowledged that this guy was able to get a lot out of guys that aren't even anywhere near the talent level probably that we're gonna, that he's going to have at Oklahoma. So that's something that we thought about a lot, and not just us, but probably the entire Oklahoma fan base. And it, it's nice to hear that it's basically something that Lincoln Riley has thought about as well, too. It, this has not always been just about the players. This is about more than just that. X's and O's scheme and speaking of X's and O's and scheme things like that I got one more piece of audio to play from Alex Grinch and this is a good just football junkie X's and O's and I love that he he goes into this kind of detail talking about his defense and I guess just listen in because this is good stuff we're gonna hear probably a lot more about this moving forward but as anyone knows listen to this podcast we love the the X's and O's football junkie type stuff and Grinch kind of gets into those details here about the scheme of his defense trying as best we can to put our guys in a situation that um, you know an offense has to react to you you know to, again to to a certain extent um, and, and you know single gap defense in, in, in our in our front um, so that the guys have an understanding of where they need to be uh, kind of when they need to be there and how they got to get there you know much more emphasis on, on the on the how as opposed to to the what um, we, we you know from a coverage standpoint you know uh, we, we, we uh, attempt as best we can to make receivers win. You know, uh, the the game is is space and speed in, in 2018, 2000, now 2019 in college football. And so trying to do uh, from a coverage standpoint, you know, put ourselves in a situation that we can eliminate, you know, certainly match from a speed standpoint. And, and by doing so, try to do the best we can to eliminate, uh, you know, issues from a, a space standpoint. So, and you can do that structurally in a number of different ways. And so we try to be multiple as best we can and put our guys in a situation that uh, when you say downhill, they, they uh, pre-snap, they have an understanding of where they need to be. All right, so a lot of stuff there, Grant. A couple things that stood out. He mentions the one-gap style defense that you've been clamoring for at Oklahoma. Simple. Everyone knows their gap. And basically dictating what the offense is going to do. Taking, again, the, the, the saying that you've said a lot on this podcast over the last few months, taking the fight to the offense and being aggressive. And then the last thing that really stood out to me is that coverage-wise, they want to make receivers have to win. And... Again, it sounds it's not like a broken record. It's just kind of stuff right now, just kind of platitude stuff. But this guy's a safeties coach. He played safety in college. He knows how to play in the secondary. It sounds really good right now, <laughs> but I, but that's all it is. It's it's sound. But uh, your thoughts on Alex Grinch's thoughts there? Of course. I mean, just the whole taking the fight to the offense thing is is where I get really excited. There is no reason why. I mean, there's no rules against it. And what, what he says about how he wants how he wants the offense to adjust to what they're doing and not vice versa, I, I, I just love that so much. And, and that's a complete 180 from how Oklahoma has been playing defense since the 2013 season. And um, I, I just the best defenses in the world are the ones that take the fight to the offense, not the ones who just kind of sit back and react. And so I, this is this is something that. Um, Honestly, would is just 
an inch up of aggressiveness would do wonders for this defense. And that, that, that's, I think that's what a lot of people are hanging on to when maybe they not expect, but they hope for, you know, immediate significant improvement it is just in there. It's like you, you have a lot of highly recruited, really good athletes on this side of the ball, and they haven't been able to come together to form a cohesive unit under Mike Stoops and Ruffin McNeil. Maybe that's something that Alice Grinch can do with a completely different philosophy change. And um, if they're going to do it, it's going to be with this philosophy. So there's something in my mind to point towards that, that we can be excited about. Now, Grinch talked a lot about a lot of different things, and there's just impossible to get to, into all of it here. That's all the sound I have. I have one last kind of point that stood out to me when Grinch was talking that I'll bring up right now. Grinch was talking about his time at Washington State and practicing all the time against the air raid, what obviously Mike Leach and Wazoo does a lot. And basically what Grinch said about that is he liked it because it gave his defense a barometer of how good they were. And Grinch said in the press conference that if you're defending the air raid in spring ball, fall camp, basically all year long, you get all those reps. Essentially, the fact that you're seeing that all the time in elite passing offense it gives you a chance to be an elite defense against that kind of passing team. And he brought up the fact that by his third year at Washington State, seeing all all of these passes, all this kind of offense a lot of the time, his defense, he, he said, was top 10 in the nation against the pass. And so it's just it's nice because like how many times have we said, gosh, I mean, Oklahoma's defense goes up against Oklahoma's offense all the time in practice. And they still they just they can't figure out how to play defense. We have a coach that's acknowledging that, hey, we went up against a really good passing team all the time in practice. We saw these players. We saw this kind of system against us. And over time, we got to the point where we kind of embraced that and didn't make any excuses and then got better at defending the pass, which sounds great coming into a defensive uh, a, a defense, coming to a defense in the Big 12 where you face a ton of those types of teams. And Oklahoma has been so dreadful against the pass for a while. In fact, dead last, I believe, in pass yards per game this past year in the nation, in the nation. And Oklahoma's defense didn't even have to face Oklahoma's offense. So so that's that's the last thing I wanted to say about Alex Grinch is that that I liked hearing that. That stood out to me. I, I don't know if you heard the presser or not, but just the the knowledge of that he he's not afraid of these past defenses and that he actually takes it as an opportunity to to make his defense it gives them an opportunity to become an elite defense against that kind of offense how does that sound to you obviously great and one of the things that i really liked about sort of the his x's and o's sound bite that you played his mantra of take or of of making the receivers win is one that i really like and the thing that that I immediately connect that I connect the dots in my mind. That means that he probably puts a huge emphasis Lee on taking away the easy stuff, which has absolutely destroyed Oklahoma for the better part of a decade. It seems like, um, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about like those little five yard hitches, uh, where you're given, when you're given 10 yards of cushion and they, they just do a little eight yard out where there's just, where there's no defense whatsoever. there, just, just taking yards whenever they can get them. I want that completely gone from this defense. Uh, because playing in the Big 12, that'll kill you. Being in second and two in the Big 12 is very, very bad. <laughs> as far as Brian Odom and Roy Manning goes, they talked to the media. I was there. I heard them talk. I asked Roy Manning a, a, a question or two. And No, we don't have time for that, this podcast. I'll go back and maybe listen. If anything jumps out at me, maybe we'll play some sound from those guys on the next podcast because we're gonna, getting ready to go through a lot of downtime, so we're going to need some content to fill. 
But uh, again, like you said earlier in the show, there's not a whole lot we know about these guys. Uh, I mean, you know, Odom used to play at Oklahoma. He's an inside linebackers coach, so he kind of knows that history of good Oklahoma linebackers. Hopefully that means something. He's an Oklahoma native. Again, these are just all kind of things that sound good, but you know, who knows how they're going to translate to performance on the field. So we'll kind of we'll put those guys off until later. The last thing I have is I have one more viewer question, or not viewer, uh, listener question. This is a podcast, not a TV show. And this is kind of an interesting topic that Michael's bringing up here. Michael, thank you for your question on Facebook. I, I will preface this by saying I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this. Aside from, I just I don't really I don't really buy into this that much at all, Michael. But yeah, I'll read this question here, Grant, for you. He says, "Do you guys believe there's a conflict of interest with ESPN and the college football playoff?" I personally do not believe the best teams will get in every year due to ESPN wanting to support the SEC and games that will produce viewers versus the best teams. And so this is kind of like you know the the SEC ESPN conspiracy theory question i guess right and i i apologize if that's kind of limiting your question michael but i suppose you know espn what espn wants and i'm just thinking in terms of i work in tv i know i kind of have i think i have a decent idea of kind of what tv stations and broadcast stations want as far as viewers go espn would love it if alabama usc ohio state texas and so Texas, sure. That would Texas, be their, yeah. That would be their their dream playoff. And and the reason why is that that encompasses almost the entire country. And the fact that the college football playoff hasn't had a a West Coast team for what two three years was the last one Washington, I think in like yeah, twenty sixteen. They've only ever had and, Oregon and Washington. And Washington's not a big draw, anyways. I mean the the. ESPN wants USC. They want those big brands from the West Coast because then they can get those California, those West Coast viewers. Right now, it's such a regional thing that I just I don't think that the uh, that ESPN wants a bunch of SEC teams in the playoff because then you get uh, ratings that just aren't particularly high. And and I'll be honest with you, I I guess I haven't looked at the ratings for the Clemson Alabama game. They're the lowest of the playoff era so far. All right, and you know, was that because both of those teams are in the same part of the country? Is it because it's Clemson, Alabama fatigue? Well, Clemson, um, in kind of all of the low-rated games, Clemson has kind of been the common denominator in them. Nobody really wants to watch Clemson. Um, so I know hmm. the... I'm trying to think. I know Alabama is, is a draw. I, I still think the highest-rated game is still the first one ever between Ohio State and Oregon, and there wasn't even an SEC team in that. So, um, so I mean, Oregon, West Coast. So maybe there are people out in California. Maybe who knows? I mean, I know Oregon's not that big of a brand, but you know, Nike and everything back then. With it was Chip Kelly was there recently, not at that time, but you know, Oregon's brand was a little bit bigger back then. And yeah, and I know. Let's see here the the OU Georgia Rose Bowl. Um, I think was the highest rated f- playoff game in general since the first playoff when it happened last year. Um. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I see, you know, it's, I guess, no, I, I don't think it's, it's not ESPN you have to worry about with the conflict of interest with the playoff. It's the SEC, not the ES, not ESPN. Um, if ESPN had their way, like we said, um, they would be stumping for the USC's and the Texas's of the world. Um, I don't think there's an obvious advantage for ESPN to have two SEC teams in at all, to be honest with you. Um, they're more, I, I'd, I'd say, 
ESPN is is more likely to stump for a team like Ohio State than anyone else. I will say though, Michael, I I will give you some credit because I think a part of your question stems from, and I just thought of this, so I apologize for not bringing this bringing this up earlier. Part of Michael's question, Grant, probably stems from the fact that remember how so many ESPN personalities were stumping for Georgia. Yeah, that was odd when they had literally no case whatsoever. You know, I. So, that could and, be it. Yeah, I mean, and Michael, you don't mention Georgia at all, but I, I'm going to guess maybe that's part of why you're asking this question. Because, and you know what? Based off of that, that's a fair question. Because yeah, it certainly seemed like Kirk Herbstreit was the main one. A lot of those guys were saying, "Yep, yep, Georgia, Georgia." And like Grant just said, it just, it just was not a good argument. It just was not a good argument at all. And thank goodness the college football playoff committee also agreed that what well they they kind of like split the baby because they put georgia at five which was also ridiculous georgia should have been six behind ohio state but it's a whole nother thing so in that sense I, I guess your your question does have a little bit more merit and i hadn't i didn't think of it that way so uh but ultimately i i don't yeah i think you made a good point grant worry more about the sec kind of controlling college football more than worry about espn because espn wants just the most people watching as possible. Yeah, ES- and college football is such a regional sport right now. Yeah, I would say ESPN would choose for USC and Texas to be a lot more relevant right now than they would choose for the SEC to be as dominant as they are. Fair enough. All right, we're going. We're about ninety minutes in, so that's that's plenty of time for this pod. Hopefully, you all just in, uh, enjoyed this one. That's it for today. We're going to be back uh, next week. With our final January podcast, uh, I can't imagine much Oklahoma football-related news is going to break in the next week. But I guess we are getting kind of closer to National Signing Day, the second one. So I mean, but whatever, who knows? Um, either way, Grant, Wolf. We'll f- actually, real quick, uh, the spring game, the date was announced. So that's a thing. I think like April thirteenth. Did you see that? Yes, I did. Obviously, uh, going to be one of the more interesting spring games in in living memory. So I guess that's one quick piece of news we didn't mention today, but oh well. So so until uh, until next week, Grant and I, I will we'll find something to talk about. I'm sure. I mean, the Super Bowl will be that weekend. You know, maybe we'll talk a little about a little bit about the Super Bowl as well. Who knows? But uh, you know, the off season's incredibly long, and we'll all get through it together. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.